Welcome to the Love Lab Podcast, a safe place to get real about sex. Whether you're a man, woman, single, or couple, this is the show for you. We are your hosts, Kevin Anthony and Celine Remy, and we are here to guide you to go from good to amazing in the bedroom and beyond. Welcome back to the Love Lab Podcast. This is episode 242, and it is titled How to Have a Conflict-Free, Fight-Free Marriage with Dr. Sean Haywood. So we are going to talk today about how you can have a, well, just like the title said, conflict-free and fight-free marriage. And if you do counseling work for any amount of time and you really work with couples, you start to see that not every couple is good at this. And what's somewhat interesting to me about it is, you know, Selena and I, for, you know, the listeners who have followed us for a while, um, in all the years that we were together, we never had a single fight. Uh, I think we had about three times ever where we had like disagreements that we were able to resolve relatively easily. So, you know, people would always ask, well, how in the world did you manage to do that? And, you know, yes, part of it is things that we learned, skills that we learned. And, and part of it was just, you know, who we were and how we chose to show up in relationship. But in this episode, what I really want to do is I want to share not only my personal experience, but I also want to get like expert, you know, opinions and, and stuff from uh, Dr. Haywood, because I think these are skills that everybody that is in a relationship really should know. So I think there's a lot of value that we have to share in this episode. I'm excited to get started. But before we do, a quick uh, word from our sponsor. Do you want to join the secret club of men who are great in bed? Then check out Power and Mastery. It is the most complete sexual mastery training for men. Whether you want to have harder erections, last longer, or increase your sexual skills, there is something for you at powerandmastery.com. Those of you who have listened to the show for a while know that PowerMastery.com is where we have our online men's sexual mastery courses that Selena and I created, and they are amazing. I've been getting tons of great feedback. I mean, we've always gotten great feedback on them, but for some reason lately, they've just been taken off, and people have really been finding them and sharing their success stories with me, so I've been really happy about that. Go check it out, PowerAndMastery.com. Okay. So today we have Dr. Sean Haywood on the show. Through deep devotion and commitment to her evolving spiritual path, author, speaker, and life and relationship coach for 24 years, Sean Hayward, PhD, continues to transform towards increasing unconditional love and joy for the whole of her life while teaching her clients and team to do the same so that their lives, marriages, health, and businesses can thrive in unimaginable ways. She provides a clear structure and framework for releasing struggle, anxiety, depression, loneliness, and the worry, hurry, and stress that show up in your daily life. So welcome, Dr. Haywood, to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. What a wonderful introduction. All right. So we just, we really have to dive right into this topic and you know, as I'm reading your bio, I'm realizing, oh man, there's like three more questions I should have put on the list here, but we'll see if, if we get to them organically throughout the show. I want to start with, you know, listeners know that when I have guests on, I generally do pre-interviews. And so I learn things about people in the pre-interviews, which is the whole point, right? Is like to establish a rapport, learn some things that would be interesting that maybe wouldn't come out in the show on their own. 
And so the first question I have is, I'm wondering if you could tell the listeners about your own personal relationship experience and how that led to you know, everything that you know and that you're working on today. Because mm-hmm. in the pre-interview, some, some of that came out about how this wasn't just stuff that you studied because you're a PhD, but that you had real-life experiences that, that brought you to where you are now as well. Yeah, um, such a great question. Thank you for asking. So Chris and I have been together for 13 years. Um, I have been married previously to my high school sweetheart. And um, when Chris and I first got married, we started to have, which is almost 10 years now, married, um, we started to have some some pretty significant pieces of conflict that we just, we didn't understand, we couldn't figure out, it didn't make any sense, like why I was so angry and he was so shut down. And um, we really, really wanted our marriage to work, even though we weren't sure that it was going to at the time. So Chris and I looked really everywhere. I mean, we tried out a lot of like the traditional routes and things like that. And, and, um, something that I also hear from my clients is oftentimes one person in a coupleship feels like they're more to blame, right? When they go to maybe a traditional therapist or a different coaching company. And so we did not feel great about that. It just, you know, one of us came out feeling beat up each time and it was um, usually him, which didn't feel good to either of us. And I was actually feeling protective that he was feeling so beat up, right? And so we we just wanted to find um, a, a different way. And that different way ended up being an insane amount of research and creating our own programs. But at some point along the way, I just got this little knowing that it was possible to live without fighting. Now, neither of us saw, um, you know, anything that was without conflict or fighting growing up. And so we had never really heard of that before. Now, when, if you research that now, you'll see some coaches out there that are teaching, right? Coaches and therapists that are saying you can have a conflict-free marriage. But at the time, we, we didn't know anything about that. And so we really embarked on a journey that was not only to figure out our own marriage, but to be able to do it better and serve people in a more loving way. Um, you know, and we read so many things about learning to fight fair and pick your battles and all this stuff. And it just didn't resonate with us. We were like, this is, this is my life partner. This isn't a, an, we're not in the military here. I don't want to pick a battle. I don't want to fight fair. I don't, I just don't want to fight. I don't want that to be a thing in our lives. And Chris was totally on board with that. So yeah, so we really just jumped on what would, took about three years for us to learn how to be conflict-free, fight-free. And, you know, we are, we're going into our, um, gosh, several years now with without it. And it's, it's freaking magical. And in the end, what really happened is that we, we learned to outgrow it. And that was really the the beautiful, beautiful part. Yeah. So there's several things there that you shared that I want to come back to. And the first one is, you know, I don't know, I don't know if you were already a PhD, if you're already doing this type of stuff, you know, in the beginning. But mm-hmm. um, the point I kind of wanted to make to people is that, you know, even PhDs in, you know, psychology struggle with these things. And so I want people yeah. to understand that, like, if you're having these challenges, 
it's normal. Like lots of people struggle with it. Even people who are supposedly experts struggle in this area. So you're not alone, right? Yes. (laughs) And everybody needs to learn tools in order to, to, uh, you know, figure out how to deal with that. But, you know, Mm -hmm. another interesting thing, speaking of learning tools, is that I was having this conversation with a friend the other day and, and it came up, you know, this whole, what I said at the beginning of the show, which was that you know, in seven years of us being together that Selena and I never had an argument. And the, the friend I was talking to was like, well, I've never experienced that. I've kind of just resigned myself to the fact that, you know, this is going to happen and we just need to figure out ways to deal with it. And I thought, wow, that's really sad. You know, yes. it's, kind of, it's kind of sad thinking in that mentality of like, well, it's going to happen. So all I'm focusing on is how can I deal with these conflicts in a mature adult way that, that doesn't come. I mean, okay, that's great. When they happen, you want to know how to do that. But this brings me into my second question, which you did answer already, sort of, which is, is it really possible to have a conflict-free, fight-free marriage? Yeah. Oh, it's a hundred percent possible to your, to your first question. I had, long since had my PhD and was still, you know, we were still struggling and there were just a few things that we just didn't like have the code cracked on yet (laughs) in order to get rid of that piece. Um, But yes, it is absolutely possible. Now um, there are plenty of people who, who don't believe it. When I talk about it on social media, I get all kinds of pushback. And honestly, the, the first step in creating a, you know, in moving toward allowing your marriage or your relationship to just be a sanctuary of love and care and support and play and adventure, right? Like that can be people's daily lives. And it's freaking amazing. Right. Um, and the first step is you have to give yourself permission to have a vision for that. You have to be able to say, well, okay, maybe it's possible instead of like what you were saying about your friend, like, oh, you know, well, I've resigned myself. Fighting is just part of marriage. Right. And that's what people believe. And I'm like, we got to interrupt this thought process (laughs) and this belief system because it is, it does not need to be that way. Yeah. I mean, Mm. for me, I lived it. So I know it's possible, but a lot of people have never experienced that in their entire adult lives and every relationship they've ever had. And so, so they, may not really realize that that is possible. So, you know, sometimes when I talk about this in my own personal experience, people just say, well, you know, you, you got lucky, like that was just a, an anomaly, like that was weird, that's not normal, that's not an experience. Yeah. But now here you are on the show to say, hey, you know what? It's not that weird. It's not an anomaly. It's not necessarily an outlier case. Like this is really possible. Yeah. Absolutely. And we have plenty of of couples that we've worked with that are also now experiencing conflict-free, fight-free marriages, or at the very least, exceedingly reduced. Yeah. So, okay. We got people, I think, I hope to believe that this is possible. But obviously, we need to talk about it a little bit more. So one of the things I want to do is sort of deconstruct the myths around fighting in relationships. And so I'm wondering if you could talk about what are some of these myths and why are they actually myths? Why are they not true or correct? 
Oh, that's such a great, great question. So, um, so just to make sure that I'm understanding, Kevin, so myths like you have to learn how to fight fair or pick your battles or the one you shared fighting is just part of marriage. So figure out how to, how to move through it. Is that the, exactly. is that what you're, well, so, yeah. so those are some examples. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you can talk about those if you have additional ones to that, but like some of the more common ones that people mm-hmm. believe when it comes to relationships and fighting and conflict. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, you know what, one of the, one of the ones that's most fascinating to me is how people are you, like you, I mean, if you look up on the internet, you know, fighting in a relationship or how to reduce conflict or whatever. One of the first things you'll see is learning some version of fighting fair, how to manage conflict or how to fight healthy. Okay. So from our vantage point, like we're not interested in any of that. We're not interested in teaching our clients any of that. Now on the way from where a couple might be, which could be any, you know, any level of, of volatility, right? From a little to a lot to abusive uh, all the way to zero fighting and conflict. So there's a continuum there for sure. And along the way, we're teaching clients tools to diminish, 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 right? Um, when you think about managing conflict, it's the same, that falls under the same principles in our company as managing anger or managing anxiety or managing fear or worry, where again, from our understanding and practices, it's like, why would you manage something when you can remove it? when you can eliminate it. People don't have to feel crappy and you don't have to fight, right? But, you know, this is sort of new, like a new evolution of of teaching and understanding in the realm of mental emotional support for individuals and couples, right? I mean, I, I had never heard until, you know, the last several years, probably seven, eight years that, that was even possible to eliminate negative emotions in very, very large part or to eliminate conflict, right? So it's, it is still a new concept. If you ask people, Hey, how many couples do you know that don't fight? They're going to be like, none. (laughs) That's not a thing, right? So it's, it's been believed for so long. It's a, it's a whole new paradigm for people to start stepping into the belief and the vision that, you can just be happy essentially most or all of the time. And when you're going through, yes, their life obviously throws out as very traumatic um, situations. And we don't have to live with all of the chronic stuff that people get to adulthood with. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, you know, when, when you say you were researching and you found all this stuff about like how to fight fairly, right? Well, mm-hmm. fighting fairly still implies fighting. Right. Right. <laughs> and so what we're talking about here is, is actually being able to deal with maybe disagreements or situations that arise without going into the fighting mode, right? And, mm-hmm. and I love that point you brought up too about why would you manage something if you could get rid of it? Ooh, ask Big Farmer that question. Oh, did I say that out loud? <laughs> right? Lord have mercy. That's yeah. the truth. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, why would you 
Why would you spend a lot of time and energy focusing on how to manage something if you could just do away with it all together? I mean, that's a, yes. that's a fantastic question. And right. so, well, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, people think about that with, with things that are tangible, right? It's like, oh, do I want to, do I just want to continue to manage $50,000 of debt or do I want to bail out of it? Right. People have a vision for getting out of debt. They can, they can see it because it seems more tangible. And because these emotional skills, they don't, you can't see, you know, like a piece of paper being money, you can see that. And so, yeah, the belief systems are just like a little bit slower to catch on because it doesn't seem as tangible and emotional things feel much, much more difficult. And also the, the brain has a harder time shifting beliefs around things that are like difficulty or emotionally difficult. Yeah. And so that's really what we're doing with this beginning segment of the show is what we're trying to do is sort of reprogram people's brains to accept that it is absolutely possible to have a fight-free, conflict-free relationship. So that's, that's kind of what we're trying to do here is like, Mm-hmm. Because you're right, almost none of us grew up in that environment. I certainly didn't grow up in that environment. Not, my parents didn't fight a ton. Like, it wasn't one of those super dysfunctional relationships where they were constantly fighting. But they definitely did fight from time to time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I wasn't raised in a family where I saw perfect harmony <laughs> between my parents. <laughs> it, it was definitely not that. <laughs> um, <laughs> as As have most people, right? And so... Uh, they haven't really had any examples in their lives and they haven't seen this play out. And so in their minds, it's just like, this doesn't exist. And so uh, hopefully this part of the show helps people come to the realization that this is absolutely possible. So you mentioned a bunch of the myths, right? You know, like, um, you know, fighting is just part of it. And there were a whole bunch of them in in there that you said. And I, I really want people to understand that they really are myths, they're not necessarily true. And, and, and the moment when your brain realizes that, that they're not truth, they're not gospel, so to speak, that's, that's the moment when you can start to get rid of them and, and let them go. Okay, so let's then talk about uh, the emotional weapons that people tend to use. Because, you know, we've, we've kind of busted the myths and we accept that it's possible. But now let's talk about, like, how do people actually relate in relationships and and how do they do this fighting thing? Because maybe if we can kind of break that down, we can show them where they can do better. So let's talk about the emotional weapons and how people use them. Ooh, I love it. So emotional weapons are um, really fascinating. Right. So (laughs) I love the idea of emotional weapons. This is something that Chris and I um, sort of developed um, while we were like in our big research phase of um, of figuring, you know, figuring things out for ourselves. So what we have identified as the, the top emotional weapons are anger, blame, emotional shutdown, competition, passive aggression, and shame. And with those, right, so the first thing to understand about emotional weapons is that in very, very large part, even if someone isn't lashing out verbally, 
right? When they get a trigger and most people are on a hair trigger, right? Like it's ready to, ready to roll at any time because no one has taught us generationally how to let go and surrender emotions versus like expressing them or blaming them or yelling them or right. So, um, so I always like people to know, like, it's okay. You didn't know any better. You learned these emotional weapon skills somewhere along the way. And now you repeat them. Right. And so people use emotional weapons, which no one loves hearing this part, but it's, it's just the truth. We use emotional weapons to get what we want. So if we don't feel like we're getting our needs met, we whip out our emotional weapons, our emotional needs, our physical needs, you know, whatever they are in our home, our connection needs. And interestingly, when someone feels disconnected in a coupleship, they fight more, which then creates more disconnection, but they're like trying to get something and they don't know what else to do. And that's why we use emotional weapons. We're just like exasperated. I don't know what to do. And so for Chris and I, we had our, my top one was anger and his top emotional weapon was shutting down. And so, which as you might imagine, pair perfectly, right? I would get more amped up and he would be like, (laughs) he would just put more and more armor on and just stare at me like a deer in the headlights, afraid to say or do anything to get more in trouble. And so, um, so yes, so we had to, of course, learn how to lay those down. Now, everybody uses all of the dominant primary emotional weapons, but everybody has like a top three that's, that's sort of their go-to, right? Um, so yes, so with the emotional weapons, like the number one thing is to understand what they are right? Understand what yours are. And then we start to learn how to lay them down and pick up loving connection skills together. Yeah. That's funny that, that you had the anger and uh, your husband had the shutdown. Um, in my relationship with my wife, we were the opposite. So I was the one that would tend to get more on the angry side and then she would shut down. Interestingly enough, though, we were both well aware of that before we were even in relationship with each other. Mm -hmm. So it it rarely ever happened. Like it would take a lot to get me angry. But once I was angry, you know, then, then it was a little bit different story. But, and, and for her, she would at times want to go mm-hmm. into shutdown, but because she was conscious and aware of it, she would mm-hmm. go, oh, this is this is my default response. I'm shutting down. I need to not do that, right? Yeah. So <clears throat> let's talk a little bit about, because we you briefly mentioned the weapons and that everybody uses them. Mm-hmm. What we really want to do is we want to start to sort of dismantle that and give people better tools to use instead. So maybe if we Mm -hmm. take sort of each one and talk about, hey, here's this one, what could we do instead of using this particular weapon? Yeah, that's great. Okay, let's do it. So we tend to give a number of so as we're working with a couple over six months, as you might imagine, the skills sort of progress. So you have like maybe a, a, a like a triage set of skills to like quickly get out of those patterns. So because the first thing we want to do is interrupt a pattern. Our brain really enjoys being the same and doing the same thing, right? So people get up in the morning, they pull out their phone too often, and then they scroll on social media, and then they roll out of bed, and then they get a coffee, and on and on it goes. For most people, 90-ish, 85 to 90% of their day 
yesterday is the same as today. Okay. And that includes our emotional habits and that includes our conflict habits. So couples frequently will fight at dinner time, right? I, we have worked with so many families that have some kind of conflict. It might not be an all out, you know, brouhaha, but some kind of conflict almost every day at dinner. It's not my turn. I don't want to do it. Right. And so we, our brain body connection loves the, um, the, the repetition. It's not in a big hurry. It can, we conserve energy when we do things the same. So there's a lot of biological reasons that our body prefers the old habits, even when they suck. <laughs> And so, and then on top of that, with conflict, what we always want people to know is that our bodies have a physical reaction that it enjoys, okay? So whether you're blaming or angry or passive aggression, whatever the emotional, negative emotional charge is, there's, our body has, you know, 1400 chemicals. They're not all, all being dispensed at one time, but when conflict comes up, there's adrenaline, there's cortisol, there's serotonin and dopamine. Like there's so many chemicals that depending on what the emotional weapon is, your body starts to have like a rave party, Right. And even though we hear people say all the time, I don't want to fight so much, they actually do because their body is giving that, that physiological rave party. They get and addicted those, to the chemicals. Yeah. You got it. A hundred percent. That's exactly right. And so if people don't know how to um to how to elicit those like amazing chemicals through joy and love and connection and peace, which is a learned skill for essentially everybody or learned skill set for almost everybody, then the brain body connection continues to support triggers, right? Oh, that made me so mad. Oh, he left his crap on the floor again, or she didn't close the cupboard or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and then those chemicals get to like come up and have a party again. So there is that literal addiction to conflict cycles because the body wants that payoff. So for all the emotional weapons, the first, first, first order of business is just to do anything you can to get, give yourself a get out of jail free card. So it might be, you know, we might teach couples to just like immediately like someone raises their hand and they turn their backs to one another. Right. So then you're not seeing the angry facial expressions that encourage more triggering. It might be, you know, and we always we always encourage people to raise a hand like that's the very first thing. Raise a hand because that breaks the cycle. And it's an agreed upon thing that they say, oh, we want to get out of this cycle. Hand raising means I'm going to try something else. So we raise a hand and then you might walk away or go for a walk or take a drive or turn your backs to one another. Something to just interrupt that initial cycle. And we tell people every time when we're starting to work with them, you're going to want to turn around and get your licks in so bad. You're going to be feeling like, oh, if I just said this or just did that, right? Because the the drive to get that reaction is very powerful. But it only takes a few times to raise that hand and do something else to really like start to break the cycle. So we're like, just hang in there for a count of three. And after the third time that you interrupt this cycle, it's going to be easier and easier and easier. And then you might have one time that's like, 
you know, you go back to, to what you used to do. But people can get out of those patterns pretty rapidly. Yeah, in NLP, so, we would call those pattern interrupters, literally just it, exactly. teaching people how to interrupt the pattern, how to, how to recognize it first, that, oh, I'm repeating that same pattern, and then, boom, how do I interrupt it and get out of it? You got it, 100%. So that's our first line of defense. And that's with any, any trigger, anytime someone starts to feel that just like, you know, upheaval coming in or the like anger seeping in or shutting down, whatever it is, it's like, just get your hand up. That's all you have to do. Because uh, when we're triggered, our, our, our mouths, our words aren't often trustworthy. So we do have them do something physical and then like walk away or whatever. Um, can, can I pause you for just a second? Heck yeah. Because you just said something that I really want to talk about for a moment. And I don't, I want us to get right back to talking about the, the weapons and how people can do better. But you just said something that absolutely drives me crazy and it needs to be talked about on the show. You said that when people are angry, our words are not necessarily, I forget what the exact word you trustworthy. said. Trustworthy. Trust, trustworthy. So another way of saying that is, is when people get angry, they say things they don't mean. And this drives me insane because in my mind, why would you say it if you don't mean it? Right? Oh, they mean it. <laughs> well, sometimes they do, but they don't like people will say things when they're angry. They they mean it in a sense that they're doing it directly to hurt somebody. The, yes. The, the reaction they want is to hurt somebody, but they don't actually necessarily always mean the actual thing that they said. So they may say, you are this or whatever. Yeah. They don't really believe that they are that. Yeah. They only mean it in a sense that I just, I want to hurt you because you hurt me. And this is a behavior I have never understood. And I just feel like we need to talk about that a little bit. Like, it's so super important to not say things that you don't mean. Oh, Kevin, it's such a, it's such a beautiful, like, a beautiful topic, right? So you're 100% right. When people are upset, they lash out. Because if I'm hurt, you're going to be hurt. You're going to hurt too. Right. Because it's that's our little kid inside that's like, oh, man, that's not fair. And you stink and you hurt my feelings. Right. Like everybody just turns into this little kid and then they lash out in the ways that that they learned to have um, to express their emotional weapons. And, you know, depending on the home that people grew up in, it was just modeled behavior that that you learn and then you are programmed to do or say, I mean, Oh my gosh, I shudder to think about the things that I used to say. They were so mean. And that's just how I knew how to fight, right? Like that's how I learned it. And I mean, I never thought Chris was a lazy loser, but I said it. He's the most magnificent man I've ever met on this entire planet. And if I meet every man on the planet, I know he's still going to be the most magnificent one, <laughs> right? But I said mean things. And um, I think that the whole idea of I didn't mean what I said is just rooted in, in our own inner hurt and the stuff that we haven't, you know, learned to, to let go of or heal from a personal perspective yet, right? Like, you know, we take us with us wherever we go, half the journey, well, more than half in our program, 80% of the work is individual, only 20% of it is couples. Because if I don't know how to how to let go of anger, I certainly can't expect myself to not unleash it at my partner. Yeah. Does that 
Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I, I hope that the listeners, if they can uh, take away anything from that last little segment that we talked about was just don't, don't say things you don't mean because right. you're, you're, you're creating more carnage and more destruction. Oh, truly. You're just, you're, <laughs> you're taking yeah. what was already something that, that shouldn't be and just making it even worse. Oh, absolutely. And that's why the first thing we do is teach people, raise a hand and don't say anything because couples think uh, so oftentimes if you do a poll and you say, why do most people get divorced? They say money, an affair, right? Like the big, big things. So it seemed like big things, but people, not many people get divorced because of those things. People get divorced because there's wound after wound after wound. And every time there's a piece of conflict, even if it's just in your mind and you're not saying it, you're breaking connection with your partner. And if we look at our marriage like a like a big Jenga block and every block is a piece of conflict or is our like the the idea of our connection and we pull block after block after block out at some point it collapses yeah. right people people get divorced because they don't feel connected and good together like a sanctuary and like a loving space so yeah uh, raise your hand and walk away even if your partner feels super PO'd because you walked away, <laughs> right? It's well, better. It's, yeah. It's better to call a pause, right? And, Absolutely. and rather than continuing and doing more damage. So, okay. You got it. I do want to come back to those emotional weapons, but it is actually time to take a break for our second sponsor. And since I've already derailed you from the middle of that, which I apologize for, <laughs> I might as well do the ad now so I don't have to derail you twice. <laughs> Perfect. All right, here we go. Uh, are you a couple? Are your relationship and sex life where you want them to be? Are there changes you would like to make but just don't know how? Maybe you think there is nothing that can be done. I challenge you to make 2023 the year that changes. If you're not 100% happy with where your relationship or sex life is at, then get help today and change your life. Go to selenremy.com forward slash sex dash coaching dash couples. I know that's a mouthful. I didn't create a short link for that. Link is in the description. Don't worry. That is a link to my couples coaching program. Now, I don't focus specifically on you know, fighting and conflict-free, although I can help with those areas. I focus a little bit more on having a great sex life and, you know, all the happy positive uh, type things. But we've got Dr. Haywood right here who does specialize in this stuff. So if you're stuck in those patterns, I suggest, and we will, of course, give you, Dr. Haywood, a chance at the end of the show to plug where people can find you. But if you're stuck in any of these cycles that we're talking about today, I would suggest you go reach out to her. If you are relating well, but there's just something that's not quite where you want it to be, you want to increase the intimacy, you want to create more love, you want to have better sex, then check out selenremy.com forward slash sex dash coaching dash couples. Link is in the description. Okay, now that that is over, let's get back to these emotional weapons because you, you, you I asked you a question about, you know, how are these weapons used and what can people do better? And you started to lay the foundation about what needs to happen first. And then I kind of derailed you because I want to talk about something else. So let's come back to those weapons and, and just kind of talk briefly about, 
you know, here's a, here's a weapon that a lot of people use. And maybe here's one strategy. Cause I know there's multiple strategies. Like this isn't supposed to teach everything that somebody would need to know. It's just supposed to give them little tastes about, you know, each one and how they might be able to do better. You got it. Love it. Thank you. So yes. So the first piece of course is interrupting the, the typical pattern, what people are practicing day in and day out. Right. Um, from there, then we want to learn how to um, get our needs met without fighting in conflict, because that's really what it is, right? If it's like, you know, oh, you left your crap on the floor and I have to pick it up. What do you think? I'm your mom. You know what I mean? Like there's there's so many little things that don't feel little to the big things. So let's maybe use blame because blame is is most in most people, if not everyone, I would actually argue that it's everyone's top three in their top three, because when you eliminate blame, there is nothing to fight about. I absolutely dare anyone uh, who's listening to fight without blame. It's, it's just not possible. So that's one of the ones that we help people tap, tackle right away is how to let go of blaming and what to do in its place. So one of the first things that we share with couples on how to let go of blame is to start actually asking questions, right? So most of the time, the blaming is coming from not some some form of not feeling seen or heard or attended to or cared for or supported, right? So the the typical um, everyday pieces of conflict that are about the home or the kids or too much working or or things like that where they don't someone doesn't feel like a priority or connected and so on. So the first thing that we encourage people to do is lean into vulnerability. And one vulnerability skill is simply asking right? It's amazing how little couples ask in a vulnerable way. So it might simply be, and and, and yes, you might need to ask, ask something a hundred times a week or a hundred times a month, really. It's like, Hey babe, would you mind helping me with dinner tonight? Right? So let's say it's set up where the the feminine energy, because this is just just more common, is generally responsible for dinner time, and at some point she becomes resentful, right? She's like, I have to do everything, rah rah rah. Well, a couple in that in that specific situation wants to change the rules of the game that they've been playing for, you know, could be one year could be two years could be 10 years and you want to change the rules of the game and instead of reworking and creating a new system they they start to feel uh, taken for granted and not appreciated and all the stuff and then out comes the anger and the emotional punishing and whatever and so one of the first most simple things to do is hey babe would you help me with dinner tonight i would love for you to wash the dishes chop vegetables, you know, whatever it might be. Or, hey, sweetheart, I had a really hard day. Would you just sit with me on the couch for five minutes and and pet my back or scratch my hair or, you know what I mean? Just like these little things that make such a huge difference when we're laying down emotional weapons because what we want is some version of connection, support, help, care, whatever. And we make the assumption that 
the only way to go about it is to fight over it. Like if I'm not yelling at my partner, then how will they know that I, (laughs) that I need something or if I'm not, you know, nagging them, how do they know? So the very, very simple, but also very vulnerable. And this is where, where people get in, into trouble here is that, you know, we hear people say all the time, like, I don't like to ask for help. Well, what we know from a person, individual healing standpoint is if I don't ask for help, I don't believe I'm worthy or deserving of receiving. Mm. And that is where people think they're fighting about one thing, but the fights are always a symptom. Always, always, always a symptom of something that's much more, much deeper and, and heart centered from a healing perspective. So as soon as we hear that, it's like, I I don't like to ask for help. I don't want to ask for help. It's like, okay, but just know you're fighting is a consequence of not feeling worthy of receiving and asking. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So two huge things that you shared there. The first one was what you're describing is what what people tend to do is this. They have a need. They don't voice what that need is. And then the need goes unmet. And so then they get resentful and then they lash out. And what you're describing is, no, what you need to do is when your need's not being met, you need to find a way to compassionately communicate that you have this need. And if you do that, because I can really mostly speak from my perspective as a man. And I can say that a lot of times as men, we're not aware of what your need is. And we generally, most of the time, want to meet your needs, but we can't do that if we don't know what they are. And so it's so huge if the woman could simply say, here's what my need is. And furthermore, just to take it a step further from that is, if you know why that's a need, if you can communicate to us why that's important to you, because sometimes sometimes guys will say, well, yeah, she told me what she needed, but I, I just thought it was kind of unreasonable. Like I didn't really understand why she yeah. needed that, right? So if, if, if and, and, you know, this does go both ways, but I'm just speaking more from of my course. perspective, but like if a woman could say, here's what my need is and here's why this is important to me, nine times out of 10 is guys will go, oh, didn't even realize that. Yeah, no problem. I'm happy to meet that need for you, right? So that was the, Oh my gosh. I love it. That was kind of the first big thing that that you were talking about there. And so if you can get that need expressed and get it met, then you never move into the the anger phase, right? And exactly. then the, the second one that you shared at the end was really powerful, which is if you don't feel like you can speak up and voice your needs, you may be running into a pretty big self-worth issue. Yep. Yes. And and on top of that, I mean, you know, it's like at some point women started to be conditioned, programmed to be fiercely independent. I will never forget the day many years ago where it hit me like a ton of bricks. It was like, a, we call it a Zen whack <laughs> when the universe is like, whacking you in the head where I was like, holy crap. I do not even allow myself to need Chris, right? Like I'm mad that he doesn't do the things that I think he should be reading my mind to do, but would not be vulnerable. Right. And so it's just a really fascinating dynamic that has that has sort of evolved into your point about <laughs> I love this about the men that we at least the men we work with um they progress so quickly 
because the skills are really logical. It's like, oh, cool. Okay, so this is going to get more peace in our house. Oh, I can do that, right? Like, okay, I can do that. And I just, I love that where women are like, oh my gosh, I got to, I got to do what? How many things? Why can't he just do it? <laughs> he knows what I want. And it's like, no, he does not. <laughs> yeah, we are definitely not mind readers. And, no. and you know, some guys are better at it. Some guys will put more effort into trying to figure it out. But, but most guys mm-hmm. are just, they don't want to have to try to figure out a puzzle. Like, they right. just give me the give me the playbook, give me the manual, give me the instructions, just let me know where I stand and I'll follow them. Like it's that's really where most men are at. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, most women are on the opposite side where they're going, well, he should just know. I, well, I shouldn't have to tell him. He should just know this. It's so true. Which, I can't even imagine how many times you and I have said that to to women like, okay. <laughs> no, he should not know. How would he know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And what you know, even if he has a pretty good idea of women in general, every individual is unique and has their own needs, their own wants, their own desires, their own way of operating in the world. And so, you know, yep. it's 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 hard to know where somebody is at, even if you've been together for a long time, if they haven't for actually sure. shown those sides of themselves to you, if they haven't exposed yep. themselves in a really deep and vulnerable way and shown you where all those places are, then you're not going to know about them necessarily. You got it. All right. So... We talked, it it came up a couple of times in the conversation, this idea of vulnerability. And uh, that was one of the questions I had to ask you was, you know, how does vulnerability factor into this? So maybe we could talk a little bit about Mm -hmm. vulnerability because one of the reasons I want to talk about this is because, all right, you see, one, you brought up something uh, about you know women and being taught like they don't need a man and and all this sort Mm -hmm. of stuff that is very popular today and is completely ass backwards, in my opinion. So yes. you have all these women out there who are trying their best not to be vulnerable because society's telling them that they shouldn't be vulnerable. Yet at the same time, there's this, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I think women are naturally more used to being vulnerable because mm-hmm. technically... Uh, at least from a physical standpoint, they are more vulnerable than, say, mm-hmm. you know, men. So they're maybe a little bit more used to being in that vulnerable world, but they're like maybe struggling with that. Guys, mm-hmm. on the other hand, oh, they're also told from the day that they're born pretty much that it's it's not manly to be vulnerable, right? Right. And so they're over here doing everything they can to not be vulnerable. <laughs> but somehow this has to factor into this equation in a way that's healthy for both. In other words, we mm-hmm. don't want men to turn into these just wishy-washy puddles of vulnerability, crying their eyes out and not, you know, being mm-hmm. a man, so to speak. Um, and we also don't want women locking down and not being vulnerable at all. Like there's a healthy way for each one of those um, people to show up and still be vulnerable. So I'm wondering if maybe you could talk yeah. about like, like how can a woman be vulnerable yet still be strong in the world? How can a man mm-hmm. be vulnerable but still be considered a man and not looked down on because he's some, you know, not man right. enough or whatever? Yeah, um, it's such a great question. Uh, it's something that our clients ask all the time when they first get into their modules on vulnerability. They, it's, it's so foreign 
for both, right? So to to your point about um, just how men and women are sort of conditioned differently, women are are from my standpoint, women are taught to talk more, right? I don't always necessarily think that it's vulnerable conversation, though far more vulnerable than they typically share with their partner. So I remember for years, my best friend and I, we would be like, you're the only person I can talk to about the real stuff. And we would just call it the real stuff, which was an unbelievable crime for our marriage for, for for too long until we until obviously until we learned more but we got the memo growing up that women were safe but men were not okay and so oh you can't talk to men because they don't share back with you or you know again there's like all of these myths like men don't want to talk well in my 23 years of experience men are dying for a safe place to open their hearts dying for it and I mean, as soon as we even get on a strategy call before they're even become a client, they're just like pouring their beautiful hearts out. And they like they've been waiting forever to have this space. So they do know how to be vulnerable. They just don't know that there's spaces for it. And in a marriage or, or a relationship, if the couple isn't married, um, they don't know how to create emotional safety together. So why would you be vulnerable? right? If I don't believe that my partner wants to meet my needs, I'm not going to put my heart out there. If uh, from a male perspective, if I think my wife is, you know, always going to shut down or be angry or, you know, whatever they sort of receive there, no one's going to stick their hand in a viper pit when they know they're going to get bit. Okay. And so uh, couples come to the table one, not even knowing what vulnerability actually means, what it is, what it looks like, what it sounds like, what it feels like. And so, of course, you can't you can't practice it because you don't know what it is, right? It's like, oh, I've been doing gymnastics my whole life and now you want me to play football? <laughs> so it's a, it's a new tool set. It's a new skill set. Um, to, your, to your point, Kevin, about um, moving into the vulnerable realm, in a way that a man can be masculine and a woman can be feminine. I personally think it just builds on those qualities, right? Like your vulnerability is literally opening your heart. Like the, the consequence of laying down your emotional weapons is vulnerability. That's the skills that we teach our vulnerability skills. And so, you know, you still need to have boundaries. Nobody needs to be a lay down, right? Like I don't, I don't want anyone to be a doormat for any reason. It's just you have a whole new skill set for connecting and communicating that doesn't include volatility. And when that happens, right? Like even that the asking for if you don't feel um safe, I mean it it took Chris and I serious work to ask for small needs to be met. It was shocking how hard it was. And our our clients find the same thing to be true. It's like, hey, babe, will you help me with this? Will you help me with that? Would you, would you mind, you know, doing whatever it is from a menial task to a to a maybe a difficult task? It is so vulnerable to put your heart out there and risk someone saying no, right? or responding negatively in some way like oh my gosh I can't believe you asked that like there's just a, a um so much fear that surrounds the vulnerability piece but the actual skill set people just don't know how to do 
but they are very practical pieces overall. It's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I'm going to try that out. Yeah, you know, interestingly enough, in in our relationship with Selena and I, we considered each other to be the one person that we could literally say anything to, yeah. even, even over our best girl or guy friends. Um, and I don't think that's a place where most people are, because I think most people oh are gosh, exactly no. what you said. Most women are like, no, I, I can only share these deep, dark, or not even necessarily dark, but just deep you know, inner emotions, thoughts, feelings, whatever with, you know, yeah. a girlfriend, because only she will understand. But right. we were totally the opposite. We were like, man, there's, we're, thank God we have each other because we are really the only ones that we can go here with, you know? Yes. And, and I even had that experience recently with a friend. We were, we were talking about some things and I, I had completely unknowingly you just landed on a subject that was a trigger for her, you know? And I was like, oh, okay. I realized I cannot go there with her. She's just, wow. that's not a place I can go, right? So, yeah. and I was like, oh yeah, I forgot. Cause I'm just, I was so used to, you know, the primary person that I spent all of my time with was somebody I could literally talk about anything. Yes. Oh, amen, brother. I mean, that's how it is now. And for many years, it's, you know, (laughs) I would say on some levels, I, I don't even like necessarily need other people in, you know, aside from like, you know, we all need some community in our life. Right. But there is hardly ever anything that I need to talk about anything, any to anyone else about once Chris and I have a conversation, right? Oh gosh, it is oh, being in a sanctuary marriage is the most <laughs> amazing thing ever. <laughs> All right. So you can probably hear it in her voice. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can see it on her face. That expression, <laughs> that feeling that she was just feeling as she was saying that, that is literally where you should all strive to be. Is oh. to, to be in a relationship where you can you can experience that. Okay. So we're getting close to the end of the show. I have two more questions for you. Uh, So the next one is, if a couple realizes that they are fighting either too often or in a way that is harming their relationship, what is the first thing that they need to do? Because there's probably a bunch of people listening. They're like, wow, Mm -hmm. they're totally describing our relationship. Like, how do they get started? Because a lot of times that's the thing is people don't know where to start. They can't get the momentum going. So where do Mm -hmm. they start? Yeah. Well, I mean, of course, we would love for people to reach out to us <laughs> and then look into our, our programs um, from a like a super practical um, space. I, again, I, I know I said this earlier, but the first thing that I encourage couples to do, and this is what they would learn if they were working with us as the first step, is to interrupt that pattern. Like you, you've got to find a way, whether it's the raising the hand and that's everybody's cue, like, okay, let's back off. We're, we're, we are damaging our relationship, right? Like that's the acknowledgement. Okay. We're in a piece of conflict, even if it's just in our mind, right? The number of times that couples replay the, the replay, the ways in which their partner is a is like the criminal, the perpetrator in their marriage is astronomical. And the more we replay being the victim of our partnership and then being the perpetrator of hurt 
you're right. Like we just call it crimes. Um, the more we close off and the more we start looking for a prison break, right? That's when divorce starts to become available. It's like, oh, they did this thing to me again, to me again, to me again. So the first order of business is to start interrupting any of those repetitive patterns. Um, yeah, so that that's all I have to say about that. Okay, well, so that that's a great first step. Realize that there's a problem and then try to find ways to interrupt the pattern. That's that's the first way to start. And then, you, you know, it. if you need help uh, figuring out what to do from that point on, like to learn the skills it takes to, to go through those situations, then you might want to seek out help from somebody like yourself. So now is a great time to tell people where they can find more about you and your programs. Oh, awesome. Thank you. So um, a couple of, uh, there's a few ways and um, I, I'm guessing, Kevin, that you'll drop some links in the, into the show notes. Yes. Um, so one, um, people can grab my book called Living for Love and that's on Amazon. We have a, um, a, a complimentary group where I do lots of trainings um, in on Facebook called Reimagine Love. And people can just search that. Um, or uh, you can go to our website at uh, reimaginelove.com to find information or to reach out to us. Awesome. So I will have links in the description for those. Last question for the day. It's when we ask all of the guests that are on our show. What is your best sexual talent? You didn't tell me that question was coming. Oh my word. What is my best sexual talent? Like, are you asking me personally? Oh yes, absolutely. Oh my gosh. This, after all, is a show about sex, love, and relationship. <laughs> and I talk about the intimate details of sex every day, but my cheeks are getting red. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um... I would say, um, I, I would actually, I'm very curious what my husband would say, but I would say that my best sexual talent is that I can read Chris's body like nobody's business. So if he is like having the tiniest nuance in movement or sound, I can tune into that really quickly and give him more of what he is enjoying. Mm, very nice. So very nice. super, yeah, just like really in tune with his body. That is a really important skill for both partners to have, but especially for women, uh, if they want their man to be able to last long enough to really take them to ecstatic heights in pleasure because you need to know where he's at at all moments so you know how to adjust your energy and your technique so that you can either bring him higher or back him back down a little bit so that he you can keep going. This is a very important skill, so good for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I would say he's even better at that, though. <laughs> good for him and good for you. <laughs> right? For sure. <laughs> we always loved asking that question uh, and, of course, never preparing the guests for it because the, oh the spontaneous reactions are the best. <laughs> <laughs> sneaker. <laughs> well, thank you for entertaining that question and thank you for being on the show. Heck yes. Thank you so much for having me. I so appreciate it. All right, everybody. That's all the time we have for this episode and I will see you next week. Bye.
We hope you like this episode of the Love Lab podcast. If you enjoy this show, subscribe, leave us a review, and share it with your friends. And for more free, exclusive content, join us in the Passion Vault at CelineRemy.com forward slash vault. That's C-E-L-I-N-E-R-E-M-Y dot com forward slash vault. Thanks for listening. And remember, you're amazing.